It's been a while since our last NZSA oral history podcast episode, so we thought you'd enjoy being introduced to the author's tale. This great podcast is presented and produced by New Zealand Society of Authors member Stephanie Freewin and features casual conversations with prominent and influential New Zealand authors. So, here's the author's tale episode featuring Gavin Bishop. If you like what you hear, you can find the full season of The Author's Tale free on any podcast platform. I've just parked midway up Kashmir Hill in Christchurch. It's one of those stunning midsummer Canterbury mornings already hot and going to get hotter. The view across the city and over to the mountains is fabulous. I'm carrying a really heavy bag full of books and a freshly baked fruit loaf, and I'm going to meet with a well-known Canterbury children's author and illustrator. The house is from yesteryear and reminiscent of those beautiful colonial villas that Christchurch used to have a lot of, but sadly, since the devastating earthquakes of 2010 and 2011, very few remain. It's tucked behind a lovely old gate and is surrounded by a well-established garden. Good morning, how are you? How are you? Good, what a fabulous spot. It's not bad, is it? It's not bad. It's a nice <laughs> garden. It's lovely and it's going to need a drink today because it's going to get really hot. Well, it is. Well, I've got some, I've got some self-sown um, pumpkins here. Oh, and, uh, not I've you and everybody them. else. Oh, the garden's full of them. I've just left them. Yeah. I'm Stephanie Fruin, and this is The Author's Tale, a series of interviews with prominent and influential New Zealand authors who have made their mark in New Zealand and overseas. They often go under the radar in their home country, but I believe they have contributed to our cultural history in a way that if they were musicians would be considered rock stars of their genre. They are the word stars of New Zealand literature. Not wanting to focus on a particular book or work, I'm more interested in speaking with the author in their own surroundings and getting an idea of where they have come from and what has influenced their journey to date. We are meeting in their own home during the COVID-19 pandemic, and so we keep our distance, with my authors wearing a lapel mic some metres away from me, hence the less than perfect sound quality. You may hear us drinking coffee or cups of tea or other members of their house banging around, and you may notice us eating a fruitcake made using my mother's recipe. She was the person who encouraged my love of a good book and great writing, so it seems fitting to include her. Today's author is Gavin Bishop, author or illustrator or both of more than 70 children's picture books, 40 non-fiction stories for Harcourt's educational publishers in the US, 30 educational readers for New Zealand publishers. He's also written libretti and designed for ballets by the Royal New Zealand Ballet Company and scripts for TVNZ. He's received numerous awards in New Zealand and abroad, including the Leanza Russell Clark Medal for Illustration, the New Zealand Picture Book of the Year and the New Zealand Children's Book of the Year, both numerous times. The Grand Prix Noma Concours for Children's Picture Book Illustration in Japan, the Margaret Mayhew Medal for Services to Literature in 2000, and in 2013 became an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Services to Literature. We, we settle ourselves in a couple of couches in Gavin's lounge. Okay, um, So thank you so okay. much for having me. This is great. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. This is great. It's also quite a um, momentous thing to do because a lot of children's writers don't get 
<laughs> don't get a mention. Don't get acknowledged they, for no, what they do. They don't. And they um <laughs> and and, oh, and I you know, I sort of sigh really and truly. One of my reasons for doing this is that New Zealand over the last oh, I'd say probably twenty years has done really well in celebrating its music. Yes. And, yeah. and and our musicians. And you know, we have to have a certain amount of content on our radios now, you know. Um, we I have didn't know that, but still, yep, yeah, that's yeah, good. yeah, which is wonderful. And it I is. agree, we do have some amazing musicians. New Zealand On Air have a voluntary music code of practice, which was introduced by the commercial radio industry in 2002. It sets a target for New Zealand commercial radio stations to play at least 20% New Zealand music. I thought this was compulsory, but it's not, it's voluntary. But our writers, who I think are equally as amazing on a Absolutely. world on a world scale, Absolutely. don't get the same. No, they do not. They do not get the same um, publicity or just... And I think it might be the same for artists, oh, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're a sportsman, though... <laughs> Let's not even go there. You become a big celeb and you get knighthoods and damehoods and all sorts yeah. of stuff heaped on you yeah. at a very young age. You do. And yeah. you're, you're, you're made to think from a very young age, right from when you're at school, that if you're good at sport, you're the best person in the school. Oh, that person's you really get, good at cricket. You get scholarships. Yeah, yeah that's exactly to go right. To the best schools. That's exactly mm. right. Mm. And um, what I'm actually liking now is that some of those best schools um, are changing the way they think and the way they operate and, uh, and are now putting a lot more emphasis and kudos onto people being yeah. clever and kind and using using their intelligence to or to do good for yeah, others, yeah, yeah, yeah. which to me is way more important. Um, it is, isn't it? You know, it or is. equally as important. You know, you have to have a balance, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I agree. But even but in the literary world itself, mm. now forgetting about sort of the outside yeah. world, but within the literary world mm. itself, uh, children's literature is generally regarded as being kind of way down the. Absolutely. Way down the ladder of things. There's a high there's a hierarchy. Yep. And I think poetry and fiction writing are for adults mm -hmm. is up there at yep. the top. Yeah, absolutely. And then way down below that is non fiction. Mm. And then you get a bit down further down as sports writers, biographies, yeah. <laughs> memoirs, <laughs> memoirs yeah. and then way down somewhere down mm. the bottom in the in the sort of the roots of the tree yeah. um, is children's literature. Yeah. And that's because those decisions or attitudes often come about through a misunderstanding and a lack of knowledge of what actually mm. is involved in writing a good children's book. Because uh, they are deceptively simple looking. But when you have a go at yourself, <laughs> you suddenly see that it's quite difficult. Mm. And you see this happening again and again with adult writers mm -hmm. Who have a gut writing for children and they can't, can't do it. it, they can't get it. And then you have the celebrities like Madonna and Prince Charles yeah. and Fergie and all those sort of people. They all whip yeah. up a children's yeah. book too. Mm. But they get somebody major to illustrate it mm -hmm. so it looks okay, but when you actually really think, 
That is pathetic. Yeah. 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 It doesn't work. So, anyway. But but a lot of it also, I reckon a lot of people don't... um, they, yeah, it's like interesting that you say they bring in the, the illustrator to help sell it, you know, the major illustrator. Yes, yes. I forget about the words. Because I've worked with some people who do children's writing or who are trying to do children's writing. Yes. And they, you know, read some of their work and things. And I'm thinking, you really need to work on that rhythm. Or, or they've never read it aloud. No. And I think... No. That's a critical moment in children's writing is hearing the words read aloud exactly you have to you have to the other thing that you see again and again is that people they can't let themselves write honestly for a child Mm. or children's audience and they pitch what they're writing to at adults yeah to get the laughs and get the acknowledgement and to be seen to be a good writer Mm. And they, if you do that, you're never going to, you're not going to get it. You're not oh. going to get there. Yeah. But I have a lot of people who come to me, um, say, oh, I've written a children's book and um, one, would you be able to illustrate it for me? Uh, or how do I go about getting it published, this book, you see? And the first thing I say is, is if it's a picture book, how many pages does it have? Mm-hmm. And if they say, oh, 20, 21, I say, that's not a picture book. You don't know enough yet. Yeah. Go and count the pages of a picture book. Yeah. Go to the library and read a whole lot of picture books and look yeah. at them. Yeah. And you'll get an idea. You need to do your homework. Yeah. You can't just suddenly whip up something and say, oh, I want to have this published. Yeah. So... That's exactly right. You've got to you've got to learn the craft. You've You'd have to, to learn the craft. You've got to you learn have to it. learn it. Yeah, before yeah. you can step into it. Yeah. Well, look. Mm. Let's have a look at these. I mean, so I okay. you gave me a list of books to look at, which is wonderful, and I also went and did pulled some more out of the library. Yep. Um, and you're very hard to find in the library, I have to say. Oh. Um, you know, you are in. Um, a, most of them are out. That's always a nice thing, isn't That's it? That's good. That's what we like. That's good. Yeah, it is really good. Um, but good. yes, but I wanted to get a wide variety of your books, right and, and, and so I did. But look, let's have a look first of all at um, Piano Rock. Yep. Now that's one I didn't own. I've, I've ordered a copy. I've had to, and I've been waiting some weeks now for a copy for Piano Rock to turn up. Are they still available? They are. But they take a long time to get here. From Australia. <laughs> I don't know where it's coming from, but Australia. Scorpio are, are, are kindly getting me a, a copy, and I think they're going to get another one for their own shelves. Penguin Random House um, from Australia. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Piano Rock. So, that is your autobiography of that moment in time when you're in Kingston. That's right. Um, which I know. I know that area really well. And Oh, that's good. Um, in that book... You talk about, you say, and I've got, I think I've got the quote marked here, actually. You say, I drew all the time and everywhere. I drew forts and houses on my printing books and dogs and cars on my arithmetic books. One day I was asked to write the alphabet on the blackboard. When I put funny faces and arms and legs on the letters, I got a smack from the teacher. But that didn't stop me. I loved drawing and I knew I wanted to be an artist when I grew up. Everyone said I was good at it. It was easier than arithmetic, and I wanted to do it more than anything else in the world. Now, tell me. Yeah, that is 
Yeah. Hmm. So you, re- right from a very young age, this y- is what you wanted to do. Yeah. It's partly because I was good at it. Yeah. And people acknowledged that. And so I thought, oh, I'll just keep doing this because look, look at the kudos I'm getting. Look yes. at the accolades or the affirmation yes. I'm getting yeah. um, by doing it. Yeah. And one of the other, I think I mentioned in that book too, um, one of the other things that um, pushed me in that direction was that in those days, shops and pubs and things had signs painted by sign writers an actual man would come with a little van (laughs) with a ladder on the roof or along the side of the van Mm. and he would get up on his ladder Mm. and freehand write a sign in chalk on the side of a building you know it was Greek's coffee or whatever it was and then paint the thing in freehand onto the building well I found that absolutely it was magical yeah Absolutely magical. And I thought, that's what I'd like to do. Because I didn't know anything else. I didn't know any more than that. Mum and Dad didn't know anything about art. Dad was good at drawing, though. Dad was really good at drawing. But he didn't ever much do much with it. And then on one occasion, I was... I happened... And I mentioned in this book, I watched the sign writer who also could paint landscapes. And he painted this landscape of the lake. Um... That could, as you saw it from Kingston, mm. above the bar in the pub. Great. And I went down and I stood and watched him paint this thing. Yeah. And I was blown away yeah. by it, thinking it was magic. Absolutely. Absolutely magical. Yeah. This person painting this landscape of the lake. And as a special treat, he gave me, I don't know whether he gave it to me, but anyway, I ended up with a fireman's helmet. God knows where it came from. He painted wings on the side of it. And he painted things on my gumboots. Brilliant. As well. Brilliant. And the other thing, I've mentioned again in the book, the other thing he did was he painted stones from the beach Mm. with little landscapes on them and gave them to people in the pub. And they were on the mantelpieces throughout the whole of Kingston. For the rest of the time I was there, I remember. These little mementos, yeah. little stone mementos. And I wonder how many people have still got I them. I don't know. It's a very long time ago. Wouldn't it be wonderful Mid to find 50s. out? Mid-50s. Yeah. Let's take a moment to hear a short snippet from Gavin's autobiography, Piano Rock, read by Gavin. I'll just read this. Okay. Kingston was at the end of the railway line, just a pub and a few houses tossed down like knuckle bones at the edge of a lake. There was a school and another house up by the main road. The train from Invercargill came most days and put people onto the TSS Urnslaw to sail up the lake to Queenstown, Glenorchy or Walter Peak Station. There was a bus to Queenstown too, but it was not popular because the dusty gravel road that wound up and down around the side of the lake made lots of people sick. In those days, a cobweb of railway lines covered most of New Zealand. Steam engines pulled passengers and goods all over the country. Journeys were often long, and by the time you got to where you were going, your face and hands were streaked with soot and smoke smuts. 
But unlike travelling by bus, you could walk around to stretch your legs. And when the train stopped at a station, there were refreshments to buy. Pies, ham sandwiches and slices of fruitcake. Tea from huge enamel teapots poured into sturdy NZR cups was available if you wanted something hot and strong to drink. If you didn't like tea, you could have a soft drink. But there was no coffee, unless you called Strang's coffee and chicory essence coffee. We came to Kingston, like a lot of others who lived there, so my dad could work for the New Zealand Railways. Dad drove a tractor on the wharf, moving goods from the railway trucks and putting them onto the urns law. Sometimes he took stuff from the urns law and put it onto goods trains. The water around the wharf where the urns law docked was deep and so clear that on good days you could see the bottom of the lake as if there was no water at all. Boats looked as if they were floating in midair. Brown trout and eels flew like birds under the wharf and out the other side. One afternoon, one of the biggest eels got caught on in the Urnslaw's propeller and was chopped up like mince. Dad said it was a pity, because it would have been good eating. The sort of thing that you toss out after a while, or you would treasure, yeah. or you'd throw it into your drawer, yeah. or you'd give it to a kid or something, or something like yeah, that, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember we had one um, by our fireplace as yeah. well. So that's what, other than that, I don't think I've ever seen a real painting. I don't think I've no. ever seen any artwork. Well, certainly not in Kingston, you wouldn't have. There would have been no art gallery as such. And back in the 50s, it wasn't the sort of thing that, well, New Zealand in particular. No. People didn't really go to the art gallery, did no. they? And if you did, you would have been considered a bit weird. Yeah. Probably, because you go to rugby games. Yeah. I used to go to Invercargill quite a lot, because that was that was where my grandmother lived. Yeah. So we'd go down there quite a lot, but I can't ever remember going to the museum or anything like that. No. Um, I used to go to the museum when we lived in Invercargill yeah. later. Yeah. Mm. So I'm wondering if, if you were to do a little bit of a dig into your ancestry, if you would find someone Possibly. back in your ancestry who was also Possib some form of an artist. Possibly. Because I think it's funny how these things I know, how they repeat. Up. It's quite odd, isn't it? Dad, Dad was good at drawing, yeah. but he wasn't the kind of person that would sit and produce artwork. Yeah. He, he, he's, he wasn't that kind of guy. No, and... He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. No, and of the era where those people who did came from money that afforded Probably. them the luxury to be able to sit and do it. That's right. And if you didn't come from that, you had to get out and earn a living. That's right. So, that's right. And you that certainly wasn't a real job. And I can remember the attitude in my family was reading was for recreation. Yeah. Now, everybody read. <laughs> Mum, Dad, uh, my aunts and uncles and my grandmother, they all read books as recreation. And if I, I can remember on a couple of occasions, if I was caught reading a book during the daytime, when I should have been outside yeah. 
doing something else. Mm. Mum would say, get outside and play. So you get outside, you're sitting around, you can't sit around here and read. You just, you're going to turn out like your Auntie Molly. <laughs> this is what was my, Auntie Molly like? Well, Auntie Molly was Dad's sister. And she <laughs> went to the library in Invercargill once a week, might have been a Thursday, with a bo- shopping basket yeah. with full of books. And she would take them to the library and swap them and bring them home and read all of those books in the week before the next Thursday, before she returned them. And so she did a fair bit of sitting around reading in the daytime. Which How was, dare she? Which was, it was a terrible thing to do because she should have been housekeeping, you mm, see. Mm. She should have been cleaning a house or cooking or baking or something like that or working in the garden or something. Yeah. You shouldn't be sitting reading, reading. a book. No. Because reading was seen to be recreation. Because we're talking about the days before TV. Yeah, absolutely. And radio reception in Kingston mm. was very erratic. Wow. Um, we had, a, we had a, a radio that was attached to a car battery. Yeah, sat on the floor. <laughs> that, that steamed Wonderful. it up. And we had this great big aerial that was outside against the house. And that would catch most of the things we wanted to listen to. But it was very erratic. Yeah. It was very, very hit or miss. And we had a radio at the school, again, a, a um, battery one, yeah. and we would tune into, the teacher would tune into correspondence school. Yeah. In Dunedin, I think it must have been. Yeah. And we would do all our music and stuff. We'd sing. Yeah. And to, the, to the radio. To the radio. Well, we had, I was in Hokitika for my primary school days, and we had the same thing. We would tune into the radio to listen to a story. Um, yeah. that was being read on the radio yes. and particular, yeah, and music at a particular time. But I went to, because um, I went to a Catholic school, went to St Mary's Primary in Hokitika, and the nuns were really good at the music side of things as yes, well. Yes, they would be. Um, but I remember this, this was a regular weekly th- event. We would all gather in a classroom yes. and listen to the story. And I just thought it was fabulous. Loved it. And sometimes they'd be serials, wouldn't they? Yeah. Absolutely, you'd have to wait the next week yeah. to get the next, yeah, 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 the next yeah. instalment. And I think perhaps, and you'll be the same in Kingston, living in a place which feels quite removed. It was very isolated. Yeah, and you more so, because how many were in your school? Twelve. <laughs> Twelve. And there's a good indication of how many were in the town in general. Not the, a huge number. No. Not a big number. And see, five of those children of yeah. 12 were from one family. Wow. And then there was another, like, three from another family, and two wow. from another family. So there's only, like, three or four families. Yeah, and everybody knows everybody. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so those moments of listening to a story coming down the wire from somewhere else. Exactly. It is like magic, isn't it? It is. And even though we were isolated in this little place with a few houses scattered along the side of the road, the railway tracks, uh, whenever we had an event at the school, like the school sports, yeah. um, mum and dad and all the other people would turn up in their very best clothes. Yeah, dad would have a sports coat on and, and tie <laughs> and a hat. Wonderful. And and gabardine trousers. Wonderful. And mum would have her best would have a coat on and a hat and everything, you know, to yeah. to come up to the school and that just that sit on the ground on yeah. a on a, on a blanket, blanket or, or rug yeah. or something. But they, do, they were in their best clothes for that occasion. Yes. It sort of, it, not blessed isn't the right word, but no. it, it, 
it heightened yeah. the occasion. Absolutely. It turned into an occasion. Yeah. Because there were few and far between. Yeah. In a Absolutely. place like that. So it's interesting, isn't it, how it is, isn't you, know, it? you remember it as an occasion and yes. kind of a wonderful day, probably. A neat day, because both mum and dad were there and looking great. and Yes. Yeah. And there was good food. Yeah. Mum would, would have made one of her fielder's sponges. Yeah, fabulous. And there would be scones and cold meat and yeah, yeah all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Let's hear another tale of culinary delight from Kingston, from Gavin's autobiography, Piano Rock. Maritza the Pig The Cariani's family had a pig. Maritza was as dear to them as one of the family. The children rode on her back. She was fed the best of kitchen scraps and given buckets of creamy milk to drink. She got bigger by the day, and she was very friendly. She had a wonderful life. But the day finally arrived when the purpose of this pampered life became clear. Her destiny, her reason for living, was to be killed and eaten. While the children wept, her throat was cut and she was hung upside down from the big willow tree in the paddock beside the house. Her blood was drained into my brother's baby bath specially borrowed for the purpose, and carefully carried inside. Mrs. Cariani's gathered up Maritza's innards and took them away to be cleaned. When the job outside was finished, the men went into a meal, prepared by Mrs. Cariani's from the liver and lungs she had collected earlier. The huge pig created an enormous amount of ham, bacon, pork chops, pork roasts, spare ribs, sausages and salami. The trotters were jellied and the head was pickled. Her tail was added to the soup, and her ears were given to the dog. Not a whisker was wasted. We're going to end this first part of Gavin Bishop's tale. Next time we'll hear about his time at Technical College in Invercargill and the influence of some very special teachers. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Author's Tale. Don't forget to subscribe for future episodes, and should you want to know more about our authors, you can find more on the podcast page, or for Gavin, go to his webpage, gavinbishop.com. You have been listening to The Author's Tale, produced and presented by me, Stephanie Fruin, engineered at Plains FM, and made with assistance from the Christchurch City Council and Creative Community Scheme. You've been listening to the New Zealand Society of Authors Oral History Podcast, introducing you to the podcast series The Author's Tale.